0: How are you doing? Good. Amen. Well, it's so great to have you joining us today. As I said already, those of you joining us online, so great, great to have you. Uh, I want to ask you, when was the last time that you felt like an outsider? <laughs> right? I just, you, just think, you just put that out there. Already, some of you are feeling emotions and thoughts and, and what that meant, right? A time when you felt like you were excluded, Or maybe that you didn't belong. Uh, I don't know if you ever had friends or family that went on a trip that you didn't go on. And then all they can do for the next weeks and months is talk about how awesome their trip was. And how you should have been there. That you would have loved it. Right? And you can't relate. Right? Because you're just like, I wasn't there. Thanks for bringing that up all the time. Uh, Maybe, have you ever been to a party where the only person you knew was the host? So awkward, isn't it? You're trying to mingle and small talk, you're trying to make connection, and maybe you just hang out by the punch bowl, you know, just eating the cheese and crackers, you know. Uh, Some of you have immigrated to Canada. At some point in your life, you moved here from somewhere else, and you came maybe without friends or without family, and there was a time where you were trying to understand what are all these crazy Canadians all about, you know, what's this culture, what is is this place? Uh, I felt like I didn't belong a few times in my life. There was one time when I, when I actually didn't belong. I, I don't know about you, but I, I love when I go traveling, I always try to find like a little hole in the wall Mexican restaurant. That's my favorite. Wherever I go on vacation, wherever I am, I always, I love Mexican food. And, and sometimes, you know, people try to get creative with their restaurant. And uh, I was at this restaurant one time, and, and I don't know what the bathroom said. It said something in Spanish. And I just went to the bathroom, and I was in there for a few minutes doing my business. And I came out and I was standing at the sink washing my hands uh, when this woman awkwardly came into the bathroom and she kind of saw me at the, at the sink and then she kind of turned around and I was thinking to myself, well, that's embarrassing for her, you know, she's in the wrong place, right? Then I dawned on me, wait a minute, there's no urinals in this bathroom. <laughs> I do not belong here. I remember starting out as a, as a rookie pastor, I was brand new to ministry. And uh, I grew up in Ontario, as you know. The Ontario province is divided. In the Pentecostal center there's, there's Eastern and Western districts, two different districts. And here in BC, we have one district. But, but there, there's this dividing line. Young Street in Toronto divides Eastern Ontario and Western Ontario districts. And so I grew up my whole life in Eastern Ontario. And I knew the churches and the pastors and the cities uh, of that region. But my first job, my first pastor, it was in Western Ontario. And so I was and I moved and I I crossed into that new district and my very first uh, pastor's gathering I remember going to a feeling like such an outsider I I don't know any of these pastors I don't know the churches they represent I don't even know the cities west of Toronto you know I, I was young I was in my early 20s and I just felt like such an outsider have you ever felt that way like an outsider it's a funny thing that happens to you when you feel left out, right? Like some of us, we are really motivated to make friends. Like, you know what? I don't know anyone here, but I'm just about to go and meet some people, right? You know some people like that? Uh, others of us, we, we get these weird things happening in our heads, right? We're hiding out at the punch bowl. We're filling our mouths so that we don't have to talk to anyone. Uh, but what can really happen, and I don't know if this is just too much information, but, but sometimes, you know, there's something that can happen in our hearts, uh, we begin to get this kind of like this weird sense of like jealousy or something you know, I get this negative feeling towards those who are belonging right as an outsider we're kind of like am I the only one that 's ever felt that right Your mind starts to do really crazy things right you just, <clears throat> You start overemphasizing, you know, things about them. and you start to project things on the, the people who belong that you think like, well, I don't really want to be friends with them anyways, right? You kind of like tell yourself, is it just me, right? Uh, you know, I, I'm in need of grace too, just like everyone else. But, but it's crazy to know. And then we get to know them and they're like, they're not at all like I thought they were. You know, they're great people, Right? I wonder how many times people had negative feelings about the church because they felt like somehow they weren't included. Somehow they felt they were on the outside like they didn't belong. One of our strategic priorities as a church here at Bethel is to create an invitational culture. And we've created this statement that says having an invitational culture is all about practicing the hospitality of God. God has loved, welcomed, and accepted us so we love, welcome, and accept others. Our ministries and programs are designed to be inclusive, creating opportunities for church members to invite outsiders into our community. That's what we're about as a church, you know? It's one thing to feel like you're on the outside looking in, but, but maybe you've been on a different position. Maybe you have been on the outside, but found yourself now on the inside. Uh, and, and when you find yourself on the inside, Having been on the outside, so you were on the outside, now you're on the inside, you're faced with two choices. The first choice is to be glad you made it. I'm glad I made it. I'm on the inside, and I love the privileges and the, the sense of belonging that comes with that. And so with that, we can keep this sense of exclusism, uh, exclusivity, I should say. Uh, we can keep that going. I'm on the inside. Glad I made it. right? Or what we can do is we can allow the awareness of what feeling like being an outsider felt like motivate us and help us towards helping other outsiders become connected and finding their fit. As a young pastor, I remember so clearly walking into this room full of pastors that I didn't know and I was so glad and thankful for the one guy who came up to me and he introduced himself and said, we haven't met, my name's Brett. Let me, come sit with me. He brought me in. And so ever since that day, I made it a point in my life to be that guy. I wanted to be that guy. Every pastor's conference I went to, I wanted to find that one or two new people and say, hey, we haven't met, but I'm Jeremy. Come and sit with me. Let me bring you in. Have you ever had someone do that for you? Have you had the chance to do that for someone else? That's the theme of our passage today, and so we're continuing on in our series through Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me in your Bibles, and we're in week 4 of this nine-week series, and as we've been looking at Ephesians, the Apostle Paul's letter uh, that he's written, we've talked about how it's really uh, a, cl- uh, a master class, uh, a really great uh, encapsulation of his theology and his belief. Uh, and he wrote this letter to be circulated and shared amongst the new church church plants that he had planted, uh, and somehow the Ephesians got their name on it. Uh, we talked about it in week one. Uh, it wasn't especially to them, but to all the churches that, um, that Paul had planted. And, and so Paul packs the first half, chapters one to three, we talked about it so deep and so meaty, so it's a dense theology, a foundation for our beliefs about what God has done for us through Christ. It's the roots of our faith. And as we get to chapters 4 to 6, we'll see that those uh, roots of our faith really will produce fruits of faith and how we live out and what areas of our lives uh, those uh, theology plays out in a practical sense. Because we believe that our beliefs should determine and affect our behavior. Right? That you can... You can tell me what you believe, but I'll look at your actions and how you behave, and I'll really know what you truly believe by how you behave, right? And so Paul, he's using this front half of this letter. He's really setting up the stage for us to have a rich and strong theology, the solid understanding of, of what God has done for us. Last week, Pastor Adrian talked about what I think is the crown jewel of this letter, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 1 to 10. And he's talking about being uh, dead in sin to alive in... Christ, this wonderful work that God has done for us. But today we're going to continue in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 11, talking about what it means to be insiders of God's family. We're going to read a a big chunk. Let's read Ephesians 2, 11 to 18, all right? So we're going to read it together. Follow along if if you can. Don't forget. We can just pause right there. All the men, how many know when your wife says, don't forget, It's about to follow with something that you shouldn't forget. Something important. Kids, when your mom says, don't forget, that means whatever's going to follow those words is something you should pay attention to. Paul says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Everyone say outsiders. outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Everyone say apart. Apart. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Everyone say excluded. excluded. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God... But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jew and Gentile into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus, I just pray right now that you would take this word, Lord, that you would uh, implant it into our hearts and into our spirits to live out your truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. How many know that we live in divisive times? Every day we're reminded, every time we watch the news cycles, we're reminded of the reports of the world events. as non-stop talk about groups in conflict. Uh, We talk about political factions. We talk about elitism and exclusivism. We talk about racism and nations at war. Division and hostility and resentment have been part of the human history since day one. It's been part of uh, the global experience. It's experienced globally. How many know that this division, this this resentment, this hostility isn't a back-then problem, and it's not an over-there problem? It's a problem for all of humanity. Us versus them in so many forms have been a constant part of humanity's story. It's part of humanity's sinful heart. It's part of the sinfulness of our hearts, us versus them. And so because of that, the antidote for the hurt and pain of human rejection, uh, because of that, the, the healing and reconciliation of divided factions can never come from government programs. It can't come from political agendas. It can't come from social activism. It has to come from a transformation of the heart. Paul says that you lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united in Christ Jesus. Paul addresses this transformation here in this, uh, this letter. And, and if, if you remember back to week one, if you were with us, we, we were talking about who is Paul writing to? Who is his audience? He's talking to new devoted, devoted Jewish, uh, Gentile believers. He's saying you're faithful believers, but you're from a Gentile background. Gentiles, if you're not familiar, is just the Bible's way of describing everyone who's not Jewish. So basically, most of us in this place, some of you might have some Jewish background, but most of us would be from a Gentile background. So to understand this passage, we have to understand the magnitude of the reconciliation that Paul's talking about that God does. We need some context. See, ever since the Garden of Eden, when humanity, through Adam and Eve, chose autonomy from God, that's really to act outside of God's design and purpose and will. That's really what sin is. We think of sin as being actions or things that we do. But sin is really the autonomy of our heart, saying, God, I'm going to rule my life and do things my way And because of that, we have the outflow. It reveals itself in sinful attitudes and actions. But sinfulness separates us from God. And so the biblical story is all about God's desire to restore creation, his uh, humanity, uh, back into relationship with him. The Old Testament is the unfolding of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity that he revealed through this promise he made to a Hebrew named Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 2 says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God's relationship with what would become the nation of Israel through the offspring of Abraham was meant to be a source of inspiration and a beacon of light to all the world, compelling all the nations to come and be a part of the family of God. Now, you might be well familiar that Israel lost the script. They lost the plot of what God was trying to do and the story that God was desiring to tell and, and so they lost the purpose to which God had called them and in doing so, they had begun to use their position as insiders to the promises of God to keep outsiders at a distance. This, isn't, uh, this couldn't be illustrated more clearly than even in the way we see that they uh, eventually designed the temple, the temple in Jerusalem uh, as we look at the the, the Temple of Jerusalem, we see it 's the center of Jewish culture. The temple to them represented the very intersection of where heaven meets earth. The temple in the Holy of Holies is where they believe that the presence of God. And so this is the relationship that they had with God. And yet when we look at how the temple was constructed, we see that they have clearly created walls and barriers and a hierarchy about how we can come to the presence of God. As we look in this temple. uh, You have it there for me, Danny. If you look at this picture of the temple, you see here that there are various walls, and we see kind of this outer court in this rendering of what the temple would have looked like. And so you can see this kind of outward section here, and this is called the uh, court of Gentiles. This is the court where Anyone could come to the temple, but you had to stay outside in this outer section. This outer section was a marketplace. There was uh, transactions and business happening there, but this was the outer court. Then we have this inner court, this section kind of a little bit in the middle, and this was the court of women, and so if you were a, a Gentile woman, you weren't allowed to come in, but if you were a Jewish woman, you could come a little bit closer, And then as we go through the doors and into the temple itself, we have the court of priests where the Jewish males and the priests were able to go and make sacrifices. And then in the very center, the Holy of Holies, where they believed the presence of God would dwell. And only once a year was was a priest chosen to go and represent the people in that place. And so the very way of structuring their worship was set up uh, in a way of levels and barriers and uh, ways of keeping people at a distance from God. In fact, we have accounts from Josephus, a Jewish historian, uh, writing in the first century, and he describes these ancient keep-out signs that were along this wall. And we actually have recovered uh, one and a half of them. Back in the 1870s, uh, archaeology, uh, archaeologists discovered uh, these stones and in carving. In Greek, they say this. It says, No foreigner may enter within the balustrade around the sanctuary and the enclosure. Whoever is caught on himself shall be put the blame of the death which he will ensue. So, so how, how do you like that? Like, keep out, So, just like a little circle with a, a line through it. It's like, on the pain of death. Don't come through here. Now, as a sidebar, this is real. This is fresh in Paul's mind. If we look in Acts chapter 1, we see that Paul has actually been arrested for disturbing the peace. And what he was accused of by faithful Jewish followers in Acts chapter one, you'll see, was talking against the temple and bringing Ephesians, bringing Gentiles into the temple with him. And because of that, these faithful Jewish people had started a riot. They wanted to kill Paul. And so in trying to preserve his life, the Romans uh, arrested him and took him away from the situation. Paul is living out this very tension that we're reading about today. Israel, commissioned by God to gather the nations, had confused their calling and excluded outsiders from the promises of God's covenant. Uh, Professor Lutz Lombardi, he, he says this. He says, commissioned as God's people to gather all nations to him, they did the opposite and created distance through their sense of exclusive identity and relationship to God. Not only was the world broken, But those who had been called to be vessels of God's healing and blessing had refused to do so. There was a need for radical intervention for someone to enter into the human condition and recover it for God's purposes. And so this is where Jesus steps onto the scene. This is where Jesus begins to preach the message that no longer is the temple the place to go. It's no longer the place to access God, but God himself has come to earth, that he himself has made a way through his death and resurrection, that he has become the way, the truth, and the only path to God. He is our bridge. Now, I need you to know this today, that this isn't God's plan B. It's not like God chose to do something in the Old Testament and that got screwed up and so he needed to come up with plan B. Jesus has always been God's plan A. We see that what God was doing in the Old Testament was a placeholder, a foreshadowing of what God was always intending to do. The Bible says that right at just the right time, Christ died for us. Jesus is always God's plan A. I want many to tell today that God is on plan A. God's not confused. Coronavirus didn't reset God's plan, you know, plan C or D or E. Those bad decisions you made in your 20s and 30s, you know, it doesn't make God on plan F for your life. God is on plan A. Jesus is God's plan A. And so Paul is writing this letter to Jews. uh, 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 As Paul is writing this letter, I meant to say, Jews are turning to Jesus. They're turning from Judaism and beginning to follow the ways of Jesus. And through his ministry, Paul is seeing non-Jews, Gentiles, turning to Jesus and following him as well. So how do we know that there's a little bit of racial tension? For those that had been excluded for years are now being grafted in. Have you ever had like a merger, a merger at your work or a merger, you know, on your sports team or maybe you were on Survivor and you made the merger? I don't know what it is, right? But there's a merger happening and there's a lot of tension coming to place. So for the outsiders looking in the, to, the, to the Gentiles who had, this is how they viewed Jews for years. Jews were weird. They were weird. They were lazy, The Jews only worked six days a week and took off a seventh day to rest. How lazy is that, right? (laughs) That's how they viewed the Jews. Jews, they follow these weird dietary restrictions. Like, There's no bacon, no ham, no sausage in the Jewish diet. The Jews are weird because they only believed in one God, You know, imagine that. The culture of the time is many, many gods. And and as we read today, the Jews were especially weird because they were proud of this little custom and cultural uh, thing that they had, a part of their worship. They were proud of being circumcised, right? And so they were like, you guys are so weird, you know, and how you worship God. On the Jewish uh, Christians part, the, the book of Acts describes uh, some of the hashing out of what it was really required to be, a Jewish, uh, to be a Jewish follower. Some of them started out adamant that Gentiles would have to convert to Judaism and follow all the, the Jewish practices, but what we finally see is that they decided, no, they, they don't need to follow all the dietary restrictions and, and to get circumcised and all of those things. Uh, what they really need to do to follow Jesus is this. They need to abstain from idolatry. There's only one God is it's God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, manifest through Jesus. There's only, uh, we need them to abstain from sexual immorality. We need to have them abstain from violence and bloodshed. And so so this is kind of this is what it means to follow Jesus. So they kind of hashed it out in their merger and this is what they decided. But even as Christian, the Jewish believers were skeptical that any Gentile believer would be actually able to follow Jesus. Right? Because they lived their whole life disciplined and following Jesus, countercultural to what was happening around them. And so they knew that it's easy to be invited into the family of God, but it was hard work to be disciplined and to live out the principles and practices of being in that family. They knew that what it meant to live different and countercultural to everyone else. And so they kind of were like, you know what, these Gentiles, I don't even know if they're gonna be able to make it. I don't know if they're going to be able to to succeed, uh, you know. And so th- th- these, uh, Paul in the book, or, uh, we don't know that it's Paul. It's speculation whether it's Paul. But in the book of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is actually a letter to Gentile believers not to give up. It's like, hey, this new life in Christ is actually hard. It's easy to come into the family of God, but it's hard to live out. And so he's saying, don't, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, the whole uh, culture that they were surrounded by, Roman culture, was, was about debauchery. It was about drunkenness and sexual uh, liberation. It was about blood sports, you know. And so the Jews were looking at their Gentile friends, kind of going, I don't really know how they're even going to survive in this culture. How are they even going to do business, right? Uh, all their business partners are going to abandon them. Hey, I got two tickets to the Colosseum this weekend, you know. You know? <laughs> If you don't know, it's like gladiators, like two go in, one come out, right? That's the kind of sport that they were into, right? And these new Gentiles were kind of like, "Ah, I'm kind of busy. I think my wife wants me to cut the grass. I can't go with you to the Colosseum anymore. These two ethnic and culturally diverse and previously opposed groups were being merged into this one spiritual family through Jesus Christ. And the question would really be this. Would the way of Jesus be compelling enough to make them love one another? Would the love of Jesus be strong enough to make them look past their differences? Would their commitment to Jesus be greater than any other loyalty, opinion, allegiance, or alliance they might have? See, the power of the gospel is not just that we're reconciled to God. That's where it starts. We're made right with God. We're at peace with God. But the power of the gospel is that we can also be reconciled to each other, that we can be made right with each other, at peace with each other. These verses we read already today, verse 14, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated not just us and God, but us from each other. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility to each other was put to death. Jesus breaks down walls of separation and replaces barriers with a bridge. See, sin was the wall separating us from God. Jesus tore down that barrier and replaced it with the bridge which was his cross. And we see where division and discord and where elitism and exclusivism and racism, where the walls were separating us from each other, Jesus tore down those barriers and replaced it with a bridge, which was his love. This radical inclusion and this judgment against exclusion had always been a part of Jesus' ministry. If you recall the temple, the uh, the triumphal entry, we just celebrated Easter. We know that that week leading up to Easter, as Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, it says that crowds of people had gathered around, and they were saying, Hosanna, here comes the one. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were worshiping. It's like the biggest worship outdoor rally. We have an outdoor service planned for July, so it's going to be awesome to be out here in the city of Penticton worshiping together with the city of churches all around. We're going to be worshiping God. So it's kind of like that. People were worshiping Jesus, oh, we're so glad Jesus is here. But then you realize what happened at the end of that procession. Things turned really bad at the end of it because as Jesus came in to the city, as the crowds were waving their palm branches and laying down their coats, it says that Jesus came to the temple and as he came to the temple, he saw what had been happening in the court of the Gentiles that we just saw the picture of. Uh, the, they were selling animals for, uh, for um, sacrifice, and they were uh, exchanging money, because in the temple, you weren't allowed to use Roman coins, because it had a picture of the emperor on it, and they thought that was kind of idolatrous. You had to use coins with no imagery on it, so you had to exchange your money, and as Jesus came, he saw that what had happened, it wasn't just that they were selling sacrifices and exchanging money. But Jesus began to flip tables and began to uh, knock people off their chairs because they were extorting people. It was such an exorbitant uh, fee that they were co- uh, charging people. Uh, if you went to the gas station this week, it's kind of like that's how he felt, right? Yeah, and, and so uh, I remember growing up as a kid and they were like, well, we can't sell cassettes or CDs of the sermon in the church because Jesus doesn't want us to sell merch in church. Now, that's not what Jesus is upset about. What he's upset about is that these travelers, these foreigners would be coming to the temple to make sacrifice. They'd be coming to participate in the worship service but the prices had been marked up so high that they couldn't afford to worship God. And it angered Jesus that they were being excluded from being able to participate in the temple worship. Jesus felt so uh, strongly about it. Like I said, he started knocking over tables and chairs. <laughs> How many know that, that you know, this didn't go well with people, Right? Uh, Jesus was breaking down the barriers of what would exclude someone from coming to worship God. You can imagine the seat, all this crowd of people. They're like, praise God, Hosanna, here comes Jesus. Or they're worshiping him. They got their palm branches. And Jesus gets to the temple, and a whole bunch of them are met by the, the bodyguards at the door, the security team. And they're there to, you know, make sure that people who are excluded from the temple don't enter. Uh, we see that people who were sick... People who were lame, people who were foreigners, people who were outside, the, the, they were not allowed into the temple. And so Jesus is getting a little hot under the collar, and he goes about this. And it says that in Matthew 21, verse 14, that this, such a disturbance, you know, uh, ensues, you know, like the bodyguards are like, what's going on? And they rush in to see what Jesus is doing. And we see, I love this, Matthew 21, 14 says that all the blind and the lame came into the temple, and he healed them. They're like, kind of like, hey, the doors are clear let's rush in and they all kind of rush in and Jesus meets them there and heals them. Jesus doesn't want Bethel Church just to be free of exclusivity. Jesus wants Bethel Church to be filled with people who feel like they belong. Jesus wants our church to be filled with people because our message to this world is not we belong, the message to the world is that you belong to Jesus. The message of the church, it should be you belong to Jesus, and because of that, you belong with us. Now, this doesn't mean that we invite people to belong. We don't challenge their behavior. You know, we don't exclude them based on their behavior. You know, Jesus never showed so much grace to people that he compromised the truth, but he never led with the truth so harshly that he didn't show grace. Jesus loves us too much to invite us to follow him, only to leave us the way we are. Jesus wants us to recognize and address the sin in our life because sin separates us from God. But the problem with the church excluding people based on their behavior or their sin is that really when it comes down to it is that none of us would be able to belong. We've all been invited into this place. We never want to convey to people somehow that we are worthy of God's grace and they are not. The message that we are given in 2 Corinthians 2, 19 and 20 is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Would you say through me, God's making his appeal through me when we say come back, to God. That's the message that God has given us. You know, when we talk about creating this invitational culture as a church, we're not just talking about, hey, come to my church because the music's great. Your friends can go to the the bar on Friday night. They can go to the, you know, the restaurant and have live worship. They got great music. Uh, The invitation isn't, hey, come to my church because the people there are really nice. Your friends have friends, you know, That's not what we're inviting them to. It's not even like, hey, you should come to my church. It's a great outing on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Right? Like you could either sleep in or go to brunch. That would be fun too. But what we're inviting them into is a growing relationship with Jesus. We want people to leave behind their old ways and their old patterns of fulfilling their desires, their old ways of finding satisfaction. We want them to realize that those things don't really satisfy, that only Jesus satisfies. And so our message is, you belong to Jesus, so you belong with us. Author and missiologist uh, Michael Frost, he, he describes it as the difference between fences and wells. See, some ranchers and, and farmers, they, they, they separate their property line with fences. They build fences around their property to keep their livestock in and to keep their neighbor's livestock out, Right? But sometimes, as Michael Frost says, the property is so vast. You know, he gives an illustration of uh, ranchers in Australia, where the property is so vast. How many can imagine having a property so vast you couldn't even put a, a fence around it? How many would love to have an acreage like that, right? But he talks about these vast properties. And so what they do instead of building fences is what they do is that they build a well in the middle of the property. They build a well, a source of fresh water, this source of life and of sustenance. And what they know is that though the livestock may wander a little bit, they're never going to wander too far away from that well. See, instead of fencing ourselves off from the people around us and, you know, the people who are desperate and thirsty, people who are in sin... We're called to recognize that that the gospel is this precious, life-giving, refreshing well of life. Jesus himself called it living water. And this truly Christ-centered model of Christianity, this one that Paul is adamantly reminding these Jewish, uh, sorry, these Gentile believers. Remember, he says, "Don't forget." He's saying, "You used to be on the outside. Now that you're on the inside, don't forget what it used to be like to be on the outside." He said, I want you to invite others who are far from God and those who are near to come and to drink of the well. Jesus himself said, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. It's not about seeing people as either Christian or non-Christian. It's not Gentile or Jew. It's not saved or sinner. It's not in or out. It's not lost or found. It's about inviting everyone and anyone to come to Jesus experience the transformation of life he gives. It's really only about being further or closer to Jesus. But we're all on the journey somehow. See, when we build fences around the church, we're not really putting Jesus in the center, although we want to think that we are. We're really putting ourselves at the center. But when we put a well, when we say Jesus is the well of life, when we're centered around that and we're saying, hey, whoever wants to come, come and join us as we gather around the well, this well of living water. Now all of us come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done for us. Jesus breaks down walls of separation and replaces barriers with a bridge. One quick story and then one practical application. My friend Tish Tish was reminding me uh, recently about how she came to know Jesus. Tish had a father who had cancer, and uh, her father had found this relationship with Jesus that filled her life with, uh, filled his life with hope. She didn't really understand. This relationship, she didn't understand who Jesus was, but uh, she met this lady who worked in her office. It was this receptionist. And, and what Tish understood was this lady was filled with joy. This lady was filled with compassion. The way she conducted herself in the office, the way she talked on the phone, the way she uh, dealt with difficult people, those extra grace required people, the way she handled herself was compelling to Tish. Tish wanted whatever it was that this lady had. They begin to carpool, and this lady, over the course of three years, begin to uh, tell Tish about her relationship with Jesus. Tish talks about how on their commute to work, she would bring her, her Jesus questions. And she would just bring them, and they would have this time together talking about what it meant to follow Jesus. It took almost three years, but Tish gave her life to Jesus. Now Tish is a children's pastor that I had the privilege of working with uh, previous to this. And, and I just was thinking about how do we break down barriers and how do we build bridges with the people around us? This works spiritually. This works as well relationally. This works culturally. But what I think the first thing is this, is that we need to have the principle of ask anything, we have to have a kind of life where people are invited to ask anything. Ask me anything. I'm not going to be offended by any question that you might have. How do you know that God's been doing this for a long time? God's faced a lot of questions, and he's not offended by any— Sometimes we get so offended by the questions people have. We have to not be defensive, but we have to invite exploration and curiosity to the table. Ask anything. Ask anything. The second thing is listen well. Listen well. Lean in to understand what the people are saying and where they're coming from. Sometimes we lean in just, and we're listening only to find our next ammo, right? We're trying to figure out how to win the conversation, and we're trying to listen to what someone's saying only to get the next thing that we're gonna throw back at them so that we're gonna win the conversation, right? We gotta listen well. Lean in to listen and to understand. The third is disagree freely, we have such a problem with this in our culture right now. We don't like anyone who does, disagrees with us. We like to you know, storm off and be in our own bubble. People who think the same and act the same and agree with us. The goal isn't uniformity, it's unity. We're gonna talk about that some more next week. Not uniformity, not that you believe like I believe, but together as humans we're gonna love each other. That's the fourth thing, is to love regardless. Love regardless. Loving isn't approval of everything. We can still agree to disagree, but we still have to love and embrace each other because it's not like we are in or out. It's just that we are near or nearer, far or farther from this gospel truth that Jesus has given us. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this incredible word. God, I know that some of us are facing reconciliation in our marriages, in our relationships. God, we've talked a lot as a culture about needing racial reconciliation. God, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of policy. There's a lot of government programming. There's a lot of social justice, Lord, that can help. Lord, that we can set up some systems that support reconciliation, but really it's a reconciliation of hearts. Truly it's a reconciliation of our heart with yours, which enables us to be reconciled to each other, to find the healing and the forgiveness and the hope that only you can give. God, I pray as a church, Lord, that you would help us to love our community so well. Love them in a way that they will know that Jesus is loving them through us. Help us, God, to wade through the mess and the sticky situations and the tricky situations. God, I I just think of this phrase, we have to get through the awkward to get to the awesome. God, help us to get through the awkward in our community as we balance what it means to stand for truth and yet be cloaked in grace, God, to be inviting and yet not compromising. Help us to navigate all of that, but do it in a way that we are saying, everyone and everyone, come and drink from this well, come and experience the love and the transformation that Jesus gives. That's our heart's desire today, in Jesus' name we pray.